Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, in Australia, the ASX 200 uh, right now is down almost 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up over 1%, and it looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about a third of a percent at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading slightly firmer, $71.76 a barrel. Gold is at $1,813 an ounce right now. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat coming up very shortly with Hugh Chiverton and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast for today, sunny intervals and a few showers, maximum temperature around 31 degrees. The outlook is very hot for, with sunny periods and one or two showers. In the next couple of days, it's 28 degrees right now, 88% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. Hong Kong doctors have expressed concern over standards and their own autonomy after authorities unveiled plans that would allow non-permanent residents to work as specialists in Hong Kong. The president of the Public Doctors Association, Dr Tony Leng, said it was most concerned about the government's special registration committee to screen candidates. First of all, it has not responded to any of the concerns uh, that the medical uh, profession has raised previously. Um, the Concern is that um, the special registration committee to um, to, to um, screen the list of uh, recognised qualifications, and uh, this special registration committee has um, substituted the function of the medical council uh, in this aspect. President Biden has described the U.S. evacuation mission from Afghanistan as an extraordinary success. Mr. Biden struck a defiant tone in a televised address the day after the end of America's 20-year presence in Afghanistan. We succeeded in what we set out to do in Afghanistan over a decade ago. Then we stayed for another decade. It was time to end this war. This is a new world. The terror threat has metastasized across the world well beyond Afghanistan. The fundamental obligation of a president, in my opinion, is to defend and protect America, not against threats of 2001, but against the threats of 2021 and tomorrow. Up to 200 Americans remain in the country. The Irish government's announced plans for a phased withdrawal of most coronavirus restrictions by the 22nd of October, including lifting limits on the number of people who can attend mass gatherings. Masks will still be required in shops and healthcare settings and on public transport. Making the announcement, the Prime Minister, Michal Martin, said Ireland's success in combating the pandemic was victory for the country's people. We kept our head as a country. We stuck together. We followed the best advice. We did what we were asked, and we looked out for each other. As a result, we've managed to protect a greater proportion of our people than most other countries. The evidence is clear and incontrovertible. Your effort and your sacrifice has saved lives. Ireland has one of the most successful vaccination campaigns in the EU. Finally, in football, Manchester United have confirmed they've just completed the signing of the Portuguese star Cristiano Ronaldo from Juventus. The English club said Ronaldo, a former player of theirs, was coming home. The 36-year-old has signed a two-year deal and has said that Manchester United had a special place in his heart. There'll be more news on the hour from RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Anna Fenton. Anna, good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Today we're talking about gaming and children and about Afghanistan. Uh, Chinese regulators on Monday cut the amount of time children can spend on online games in response to growing concern over gaming addiction. Players under 18 will only be able to play games for one hour a day. Uh, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays and public holidays. That's according to Xinhua. Meanwhile, researchers in Hong Kong said the pandemic has brought an increase in the number of school children developing short-sightedness, with many spending too much time in front of a screen and not enough doing outdoor activities. Is that new law a good idea? Would it work in Hong Kong? How much time should children spend gaming? What's the mental and physical toll? Why can't parents make the rules? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. After 9.15, we're going to be discussing Afghanistan as the final tr- US troops depart. Where are we now, and where in particular does China stand in relation to the Taliban and the future of Afghanistan? We'll be talking to Mark O'Neill uh, later in the programme. As ever, we want to hear from you. You can email bankchat at rthk.hk. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, uh, emails on uh, and related topics but let's get straight into our, our, our main uh, theme uh, today we have with us now dr fanny lamb a specialist in uh, developmental and behavioral pediatrics at the hong kong developmental pediatric center um, joining us on the line we have dr kratlin zaidi a clinical psychologist based in hong kong and dr jasmine Zhu, a uh, assistant professor in the department of applied social sciences at the polytechnic university once again our email backchat at rthk.hk uh, Dr. Lam, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Many thanks for, for joining us today. Pleasure's mine. Uh, what's wrong with gaming? Well, um, in young kids, we understand that um, internet gaming addiction is quite prevalent, especially after the uh, COVID outbreak. So because kids have to learn from home and then eventually, you know, they are very addicted to the screen. And we know that, you know, the... the even it comes with some benefits in terms of the cognitive and social interaction. But actually, um, too much time spent on the screen actually creates a lot of physical and mental difficulties for the young kids, especially their brains are still developing. Let me talk about the medical things first. Most important, you know, due to the long period of inactivity, sleep deprivation, and these kids are prone to have overweight and obesity, the risk is five times that of the typical kids. And also they develop some musculoskeletal like neck pain. I saw some of my clients, they develop a lot of um, ticks, like eye blinking ticks and neck shaking, head shaking or you know shrugging because of this discomfort and they want to have the release of the muscles. And they also may develop the so-called gamer's thumb so the thumb becomes a bit, you know, um, malformed and a lot of um, pain and scar on the um, thumb. So this is mainly the physical part. In terms of the mental, because the kids are not yet well developed, so playing a, a in computer games for a long time actually affect their attention inhibition, namely the executive function development, which is the core, you know, um, attribute for the success in school. If they spend too much time gaming, then eventually it affects their learning and also their self-esteem. And if they develop addiction, then they will 
also you know go into anxiety, depression. Not to mention you know they are exposed to a lot of um, internet um, advertisement or you know the privacy safety issues. Sorry, did you mention that attention? Yes. And inhibition. Mm-hmm. How would they be affected by by gaming? Well, this is um, the attention, inhibition, working memory, all these are modulated by the frontal lobe. So by exposing yourself to a repetitive high-frequency game, actually these kids may develop, you know, um, the impairment in the executive function because of the long-term stress situation and also they do not have time to relax their frontal lobe and they do not um, engage in more leisure reading, um, you know, social interaction with their age peers. So they kind of overstimulated, you mean, the sort of too much stress, yes. con- constant stress? Yes. Well, more specifically, Dr. Lam, I think it would be fair to say they're getting a little dopamine ping constantly, aren't they, which is keeping them in a, a constantly aroused state too. Yes, and this overdose, you know, and continuous dose of dopamine may also result in addiction. Okay. Uh, the, the, the million dollar question is how much time should you, children be allowed to spend? And uh, we, you know, we mentioned this, uh, the rule, they're introducing a law yes. basically in, in, yes. uh, in the mainland uh, on this, which would limit it to what, three hours a week. Um, how much is too much? Well, for younger ones, there are very gui- a lot of guidelines. For those, you know, below... Because the government doesn't have... Uh, the government has sort of... Has, uh, has some documents and sort of uh, recommendations, yes. but there's no actual mention of hours, I noticed. So what would you say? Right. Um, from uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they have very um, clear guidelines after... Uh, collecting a lot of evidence on young kids' brain development and also the um, effect of the media use. For younger ones, like um, two to five-year-old, the guideline is one hour per day. Most must be supervised by adults, and they may have a little bit longer time of the weekend because um, of the need of them to um, do some on, on real-time um, video chatting with their relatives. But um, for older kids, the guidelines around two hours per day, mostly, again, you know, should be supervised by adults. It includes all the media time, the screen time, you know, not just the um, gaming time. And for older kids, you know, actually, there is no, um, no one size fits all because um, the older kids, like, like uh, high school students, they may have a, lot, a busy schedule. So the gist is the kid must have enough sleep, like um, up to 8 to 10 hours per day for the adolescents. And they must have one hour of aerobic exercise per day. And they have time to interact with the peers and they um, engage in some reading, writing, and they also um, have meals with the family. So at the end, after you do the calculation, they don't have a lot of time. They don't um, have any time in Hong Kong. If you've got got homework every day and you're supposed to do an hour of exercise and and you're supposed to have family time. And uh, not to mention the tutorials. Not to mention tutorials. (laughs) That's more than 24 hours a day. Exactly. Uh, okay, that's interesting. But that includes, sorry, that includes all screen time. So um, typically, no, no, most homework is going to be screen time these days, isn't it? Yes. So um, it's going to cause a lot of strains on mm. the eyes, on the brains, and also our muscles. Mm. But those da- those problems that you, you were talking about, they apply to gaming. They don't really apply to doing a maths homework, do they? 
What you mean with eye strain? Well, no, with with like dopamine, you don't get dopamine hits from doing your maths homework or um, being overstimulated. Is that but, right? But the the um the stimulation from the screen will also affect the developing brain, like the uh, blue rays from the screen, and also, you know, the um sedentary kind of um, lifestyle is sit in front of the computer for a long time. Mm. Yes, sitting is the new smoking, isn't it, really, for health? Mm. Uh, also with us, as I say, is Dr. Kretlin Zaidi, a clinical psychologist based in Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Morning. Hi, many thanks for, for joining us today. I think, I think I mean, w- one issue is, isn't it, that it's, um, so much of uh, our life is just devoted to uh, screens now, uh, whether we like it or not, whether we're gaming or whether we're... Looking, whether we're socialising or looking at the news or doing our homework, uh, screen time is just kind of integrated and has become a, a greater and greater part of everyone's lives, haven't they? Um, you know, so you know, how do we talk to children about that when we're doing it ourselves? It's been very challenging, I think, over the past 18 months uh, for everybody due to the pandemic. Um, and you, you're absolutely right in, you know, that, we, that we've had to uh, work from home. We are more engaged with screens. So how do we teach our children that, you know, that, that, that there should be time limits on this? Um, and uh, I think everybody is uh, facing this difficulty, uh, uh, definitely. But it's, I think it is about being able to create a balance and, and making sure that... Uh, there is um, uh, other activities, physical activities, and you know, uh, deliberate interaction with others when when we can, so that we are um, uh, creating a sense, uh, an environment where our children are able to know how to socially interact and how to be with other people. Because that's been a challenge for a lot of, especially the younger kids and the older ones who've been glued to their screens for more than twelve hours a day as well. And Dr. Zadi, do you see that Hong Kong parents are willing to be firm enough to have the required techno boundaries with their children? Look, I've been speaking about this and raising awareness of this since 2011, really, in schools and just, you know, how do we integrate uh, and limit the screen use? Because they're here to stay. You know, this technology is here to stay. As parents, we've we have had to struggle with learning how to um, live with this because we didn't grow up uh, using the technology as part of our life. But I'm it, it's it's difficult uh, for the parents to do this on their own um, the, because the children's learning is online. Everything has been more and more and more incorporation of the technology. So how do we limit the game use and get our children outside uh, to play? And, and, you know, it's been challenging for them. So some form of uh, regulation um, guidelines would be good from the government. Do you think it needs to come from government? How does that deal with what I observe is it starts with domestic helpers just using um, a tablet as an automatic babysitter and the parents aren't even there half the time. You'd be on the bus and you see a kid with a phone in its hand playing a game and the helper is on her phone and the parents are none the wiser. So this is a very Hong Kong problem, but how do you see that being resolved or addressed? Oh, yeah, no, I don't know. There have to be, when I mean the government, you know, when because it is such a, 
a worldwide, you know, global problem, uh, the addiction towards uh, the screens, that it is becoming more more severe and damaging issue, and it does require attention from institutions, governments, health authorities, and educational institutions, because all all of these are involved in using this for the children. So. You know, it's it's difficult for parents to monitor this on on their own. As you rightly say, you know, it is being used as a, a babysitter by um, helpers in Hong Kong. Um, and how do we how do we patrol that? We can't, right? It's difficult. So it is about having conversations and communications as to what impact it has, raising awareness in the community as to what it means for, as uh, Dr. Lamb said, uh, the development of uh, how it impacts the development of the children. But do you see parents are willing to modify and manage their own screen use and model good screen habits to their kids? Because I observe that's not happening either. It's in the parents are saying one thing and doing another. Yes, that's very. Uh, you, you're absolutely right. It is we, we as parents need to uh, model the right behaviours. Um, and you know, when I've gone in and spoken to uh, big corporates and said, "How would you feel putting away your phone after eight o'clock and not looking at it, or seven o'clock, or meal times?" Just making sure that you are available and you're interacting with your family. Just just that one meal time and a lot of people do come back and say you know our jobs are so important we can't put away the phone but yeah you can just for that one hour and we do need to start by showing how we can manage our screen time so that our children learn how to manage that because it's part of our life we've got to use it in moderation also with us today is Dr. Jasmine Jew, a uh, assistant professor in the Department of Applied Social Sciences at the uh, Polytechnic University. Good morning to you. Thank you very much morning. for joining Good morning. us. I think you've you've been looking at uh, uh, young people uh, and in particular their gaming habits uh, under COVID and under the restrictions we've been living with in the last you know couple of years. Um, what have you found? Yeah, here are some data from my recent studies, and we found that nearly half of our student participants reported that they play video games for more than three hours a day. Um, and one in five students... Can I, can, I just, can I just repeat that? That's, that's a lot, isn't it? More than half. This was a random sample, was it? Yes, and, yes. And, and, uh, more, so, and more than half played, played video games more than three hours a day? Nearly half. Wow. Uh, it's about 47%, three or more, hmm. three hours or more a day. So uh, one in every uh, five have symptoms of excessive gaming and 5% reach the criteria of pathological gaming. This data, uh, this is a, a, a bit higher than the figure worldwide. And more male students have gaming addiction symptoms than female students. And uh, we also found that the most frequently report gaming addiction symptom is that playing longer than they intend. And also thinking uh, all day long about playing a game. And a quarter of them report that they feel upset when they are unable to play and argue with families or peers about the game, the, the time spent on game. So these are the most frequently reported uh, symptoms. 
And when we further ask uh, students about the reason why they um, they spend so much time on gaming, so uh, we got the re- uh, re- uh, the answer from uh, a survey in June this year, and um, they said the most um, um, the important reason for gaming is to play with friends. So it's in social interaction is a strong motive for playing online games and also to form lasting uh, social relationship with other gamers. So, um, and they also think gaming is very entertaining and exciting and for fun and they can have a sense of achievement and forgetting upsets. So um, this um, are the reasons about, uh, uh, you know, playing games and while they indulge um, in the game. And we also found that parents' um, view about gaming and uh, quite, are quite different from the children's. And the majority of parents uh, hold negative view about gaming, but 60% of children think playing game is beneficial. And some of them think they can make money from playing game in the future, and they can be uh, it can be a success uh, uh, career uh, if they keep playing games. Um, and I also want to echo that um, um, parenting parent is an important factor um, um, in gaming addiction behavior, um, especially for primary school students. Uh, we found that students from, uh, it's quite sad to say that uh, we found that um, students from single parent family and uh, low as, yes, I mean, low, lower socioeconomic status families are more likely to have gaming addiction behavior. So um, uh, considering this um, low, um, low as, yes, low socioeconomic status, uh, maybe they have um, children in have fewer options for leisure activities uh, such as music, cooking, or traveling, or um, their parents are very busy and have limited um, quality family time or outdoor activities. Um, yeah. What, what about the question of uh, socializing? Um, is, is this, um, do the children do it because they're lonely, or is this just how people how young people socialize nowadays through games and, and things like this is it really a social activity or not how do you how would you reckon that uh our our participants re- uh, reported that they found a uh, playing game is a good way to meet new friends and also they need to stay in the game to maintain their interaction with friends they also acquire mentors, don't they, within the game. Um, I think it's important to distinguish between online world and physical world here. I think we tend to say the real world and the online world, but to these kids, there's no difference. But um, I observe that when you get the kids to be a little bit older, they believe they have great social skills, but they only have them in an online setting. And when they try and translate them in teenage years into physical world, uh, it doesn't stack up because they've never learned social skills and social uh, esteem in physical relationships. So this is tending, my observation, is to encourage a sense of efficacy in socializing that is only in the online world. Is that your observation? 
Exactly, exactly. I can't agree more. And、uh, when they come to real life interactions, such as、uh, interview or、uh, in、um, uh, job、um, interview or you know sh- uh, uh, classroom activities, they may have、um, difficulties. Uh, yeah, I just want to add to that a really important point that I observe is that、um, they don't learn normal resilience that normal kids in physical world activities do because the very activity of grinding, which is where you put in hours and hours of application to the game to up level to to take yourself up through the game, is always successful. And the psychologists who design the games are very, I would say, cynically、yeah. good at this. And they've made it that you always get a reward if you do the hours. So if you do the grinding, you get your reward. Now, what does that mean for physical world activities? Well, I observe when they come to something like applying for a job, they write ten letters, and of course they're lucky if they get one reply. But they have no resilience to deal with that, and they experience a self-esteem and a self-confidence crash because they think, well, I I wrote the letters, nobody wrote back to me, and in their online world that would be an, a guaranteed reward. But of course, in the physical world, it's not. So、uh, my fear is we're raising a bunch of kids who have no natural inner core of resilience to deal with life's、um, you know vicissitudes in in a normal way. Is that your observation? Yeah, I, I think、uh, it's very important to let the、uh, kids know video games are designed to hook players by giving you coins、um, or some new weapons or something else to、uh, give you like a, a little reward. So,、uh, but real life is not such a,、uh, um, a such a game, right? So,、um, um, yeah. So、uh, also.、Um, I actually、uh, see quite a large number. Dr. Lam, I I see quite a large number of、um, children with social anxiety after they have to go back to school, learning face to face, because when they are committed in the online learning and also play a lot of、um, computer gaming, when they have to go back to the classroom and interact with their peers face to face. Probably they do not、um, follow the social rules, and they are very self-centered, and they do not know how to resolve conflicts in physical life. That's why you know when they always face this frustration, eventually they develop some avoidance and withdraw from the group activities. But if they if they don't play games at all, aren't they kind of outside the mainstream? Aren't they because everyone does it, and if you don't do it, aren't you a bit? Excluded? Are you, what do you talk about? You know what I mean. I think it's not all or none,、mm-hmm. but if they spend too much time in, in front of the computer without real life interaction, eventually they develop less eye contact. They do not use a lot of facial expression to interact with people, and they do not know how to、um, take turn or to resolve conflicts in real life.、Mm. What about what about this idea? So in in China, they're just going to limit the time because you've got to register if you want to play these multi, you know, these uh, uh, big online games. You have to register in your real name so they can. Control the time, and they will—they say that they will—they will limit you to three hours a week. Is that a good idea? Could you do that in Hong Kong? Well, I think limiting the time is just a very passive measure, and if you use very strict rules, I'm sure the young—the younger ones—they have um, um, their ways to jailbreak. You know, I see so many of my clients. 
even their parents use a lot of strategies if they still have the strong will to play with their par- uh, play with their friends they still get ways to uh, juggle and to get over yeah and I think the question is what are the alternative activity so if there are not enough engaging healthy or educational uh, uh, alternatives so young people may just switch from online game to offline game or other screen time activities. So, uh, yeah, I agree with Dr. Lam's comment. Mm. But aren't, Dr. Zaidi, aren't we talking about active parenting here? Because when I encourage people to put down the screens and actually get down on the floor and play with their kids, they're surprised at how well the kids respond. Yeah, you're, right. uh, you're absolutely right uh, in that. Yes, we are. We are talking about active parenting. Um, uh, and also, you know, one thing that uh, I would like to bring to attention here is that what I've noticed in, in uh, parents coming in to see me with younger and younger children is the exposure to pornography by chance, uh, six and seven-year-olds, and how to deal with that because... Uh, you know, assuming uh, the point that you brought up, you know, uh, there's a tablet, it's, a, it's uh, being used as a babysitter, and the impact of that on child development, this is where I think the government regulations or societal, for the society to be more aware of protecting our children from this is so important. Um, I mean, and that's where I think government health departments and the education um, needs to be put into place so that we can protect our children okay. from these a- accidental exposures or them becoming addicted to this at such a young age when they don't even understand okay. what well, it is. Dr. Zedi, many thanks for joining us. Gretelyn Zedi is a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from the Mind and Life uh, Psychology Practice. And thanks to Dr. Jasmine Jew, Assistant Professor at the Polytechnic University. We'll continue the discussion and joined by an ophthalmologist uh, after the news uh, at nine. The weather, sunny intervals and a few showers, 28 degrees now Humidity is now at 91%. HK. Welcome back, back chat this Wednesday morning, first one of the month with uh, Anna Fenton and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about uh, gaming, gaming uh, addiction uh, and children, especially uh, in Hong Kong and especially uh, in uh, recent uh, months and the problems that uh, have uh, arisen. Uh, also uh, reflecting on the uh, uh, new law in the mainland, uh, cutting the time uh, that children can spend on online games to just uh, three hours a week, an hour a day, basically at the weekends, Friday, Saturday uh, and Sundays, exemptions for public holidays. Um, what do you make of that? Uh, would it work in, in Hong Kong? What are the problems associated with uh, uh, gaming, excessive gaming uh, as well? We have with us Dr. Fanny Lam, a specialist in developmental behavioural paediatrics at the Hong Kong Developmental Paediatric uh, Centre. And we're also joined now by Dr. Jason Yam, Associate Professor in the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the Chinese University. Later we're going to be talking about uh, Afghanistan with the last uh, American troops uh, leaving that country. What are the prospects, and in particular, what is China's relations with the Taliban um, going to be like? Uh, as ever, we welcome your input. You can call on 233-88266. You can go to our Facebook page, that's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. A uh, couple of uh, uh, comments. Jay says, you have the lady on the radio giving some excellent information, but there's obviously a big communication problem between her and the Education Bureau. 
because the idiots there, they obviously don't understand what's going on. If they understood what was going on in my child's school routine, it would be a healthy one as opposed to one that's moving into homework, being done on the computer and telephone. And as a parent, I'm fed up with spending time on the computer doing schoolwork. And who is teaching the child? Is it the school or is it the tutor? Is it the domestic helper or is it the telephone? The system has to get its act together then the parents can understand. But gaming is a big earner in Hong Kong and it's the future jobs for the youth of today. So carry on. Let me, uh, let me opticians exploit all the youth with their high-priced glasses. <laughs> so, that's for, from uh, Jay. Uh, thanks very much indeed for that. Back to thk.hk. Uh, and um, on uh, Facebook... Um, Henry says uh, the law is required when a large percentage of children spending their time in playing games this means their academic achievements would suffer badly time spent on games increasing difficulty to, re to recruit air force pilots no short sightedness required what would become of the quality of the future state leaders or future CEOs when they spend their young days playing games China would weaken by then iPhone blue light hurt our eyes. I remember an eye specialist told me to a seminar to control time spent on three C's. Communications, consumer electronics, computers, owing to blue light concern. Spending lengthy times on games means medical conditions like neck pain, lack of exercise, obesity, developing into chronic diseases like diabetes. Think of the drain on medical resources of the nation. Because they spend too much time on games, their communication skills with people would deteriorate. Think of the vast size of China and the huge population, and one could see the seriousness. And national control is urgently needed. This concerns the future of China, uh, says Henry, making this a, a national security uh, issue. Uh, Barbara says, now everyone knows how important a qualified full-time mum is. Um, thanks very much indeed for those comments. Backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, Dr. Yam, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, thank Good you morning. much indeed morning, for, for joining us. Yeah. So I think you've been looking at uh, the uh, actual kind of uh, figures on uh, the effects of uh, of uh, gaming and, and, and screen time on, on uh, young people in, in particular in Hong Kong. What did you find? Oh, so uh, what we have done is uh, we look into 1,800 children and uh, which divided into two groups. One group is during the COVID pandemic period. And another group is before the COVID pandemic period. What we found is, number one, we found we want to compare this, these two groups of children, which is age eight, uh, six to eight, and to look into their myopia incidence. That is the number of cases of children develop short-sightedness. And also to look into their myopia progression and also their eyeball elongation, the eyeball growth. And also we look into the number of screen time change and also the number of outdoor time change during the pandemic. So we found that during the pandemic period, uh, the, the incidence of short-sightedness is up to 30% in one year. Meaning that uh, children, 100 children before the pandemic, they do not have myopia. But after one year during the pandemic, 30, 30 of them will become myopic, will become short-sighted. Comparing to the control group, which is before the pandemic, the figure is roughly 12%. That is, uh, so there is 2.5-fold increase in the uh, incidence of being short-sightedness in children 6 to 8. And also the myopia progression also double. Uh, before the pandemic, the roughly annual change in the uh, short-sightedness is 40 degrees. But during the pandemic, it's 80 degrees. And also the, the eyeball growth, 
elongation is also increased from 0.28 millimeter per year to 0.45 millimeter per year. And one of the reasons why there is such a change during pandemic is because we noted there is a significant increase in the screen time. The screen time before the pandemic, it is roughly 2.5 hours per day uh, in the, these children. But after, during the pandemic, it is uh, roughly about 7 hours per day. And another very important major factor is the lack of the outdoor time. Before the pandemic, uh, roughly children spend about 75 minutes per day, which is not already not very high, not very adequate. But during the pandemic, uh, uh, the number of hours spent on outdoor is only 24 minutes per day. So these uh, significant factors associated and affecting the surge in the short-sightedness. And the short-sightedness is important. It's not because just of wearing glasses. It's because the eyeball is getting longer and longer. Therefore, there is sight-threatening blinding complication will be associated with the short-sightedness when the child grow older, become a, a, a young adult and also become a, a, a adult. So therefore, we need, when we need to protect our next generation's eyesight, it is very important to prevent the myopia to, uh, uh, to progress and also the onset of myopia. Because, Doctor, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the process by which the eye turns from being like shaped like a football into being shaped like a rugby ball, which doesn't normally happen until you're in your 40s. Yes, um, uh, it means that the eyeball is getting longer. Just like you, you can imagine like an uh, eyeball is like a camera. So uh, the back of the eye is the film, which is the retina. So when it's getting longer and longer, the retina, the film of the camera will become stretched and therefore there will be macular degeneration. And also the retina will be detached and also the optic nerve will become damaged causing glaucoma and cataract. So these are very important uh, blinding complications that are associated. And in fact, now we understand that many causes of sight blinding complications are due to myopia. It's because when the child is young, they develop myopia and can progress very fast and become high myopia, and then later we develop all these conditions. And the only way we can control it is not when it is my age, I can do nothing to prevent all this complication because my eyeball is longer already. Even though I do refractive surgery, I can, I can be very good at the eyesight, I do not need wear glasses, but it cannot reverse the longer eyeball. So the only way we can do is at the childhood, we prevent the myopia to progress. We prevent the myopia to happen. Can you, can you, yeah, is it, uh, can you take breaks? Would that be an important thing? Or have you got to, you know, have a sustained period, you know, outside or? Yes. So in terms so of uh, our advice for uh, the lifestyle, we have two important advice that we want the public to uh, know. Number one is a good reading habit, as you said, okay, to have a very good reading habit and decrease the screen time. And do not have a, a three things, do not have a prolonged reading. Every 30 minutes, we need to, to take a break, look into a far distance so that our eyeball will become relaxed and can have a, a relaxation of the eye muscle so that I can uh, uh, reduce the strain. Number two is do not read too close at least for children 
we need to have a 30 centimeter uh, reading distance and do not read in a dim environment. We need a bright environment. We need to have a table lamp and also room light so that we have a good enough environment. And it would be even better when we read by the window so that the uh, sun, uh, when the outdoor light can come in. So, sorry, are we, talking, are we talking now about screens or reading or both? I mean, reading a book or, or something like that? In okay. fact, uh, for, from the eye perspective, we are mentioning including both. Okay. Because the point is that the uh, near work causing the stress on the eye. But of course, uh, we understand even the screen will be even more that, uh, 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 more addicted to some children, probably. So, but the amount of time we consider is equal. The number of the screen time and also the uh, reading time is uh, also the same. But from, from your and point of view, are screens any more harmful than books? Uh, it depends on, it all depends on the reading distance and also the amount of the size of the phone size. So if the, say for example, it is a uh, mobile phone, the, the phone size is very, very small. So the, the child will put very close and also the eye strain will be even uh, 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 larger. So uh, uh, we always advocate to decrease the unnecessary screen time. And another important uh, point, uh, we want to child and family uh, to have uh, outdoor time, uh, at two hours per day and 14 hours per week. In fact, the outdoor time can help us to have a better eyesight because the sunlight or the outdoor light will stimulate our eye to release a hormone dopamine, which can uh, help to inhibit the eyeball aesthetic growth. And further, if you go outside, you can uh, more uh, less dependent on the screen, less dependent on the game. You do more exercise. It will be even better for your uh, general health. So we advocate uh, uh, inadequate outdoor time. So these are two important lifestyles we want the public to know. And this is without sunglasses, right, doctor? Uh, uh, now we need sunglasses. Uh, definitely sunglasses is important. We want the outdoor light, but we don't want the UV light. It's very good question. So even though go outdoor wearing sunglasses, the light is already enough for our eye health. Mm. Okay. It's also important for your circadian rhythm, isn't it, and your sleep to get adequate sunlight. And also the vitamin D. Yes. But two, two hours a day, I mean, this is just kind of an add to list of of things we're supposed to be doing, isn't it? I mean, two hours a day and an hour of exercise uh, and, and, and so on. Uh, we can't meet all these requirements, can we? And get 10 hours sleep and so on. That's that. So we want yeah. uh, the whole week, so 14 hours. So for the weekend, we encourage parents to take the kids out uh, for more exercise, uh, for more out outdoor time, instead of just staying at home or doing uh, other things. It would be good for the family uh, relationship too, when go more uh, pa parental uh, kids time. Yeah, I agree, you know, when the all the family members go outdoor and the, the kids are so happy, they will forget about playing the computer games. Yes, yes. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> true. No, not, not always true. Uh, um, what, what do you think about that, um, Dr. Lam, about the, the effects on the eyes and the other physical effects? Yeah, um, because young kids are, you know, at the stage of very rapid body and brain development. I think whatever we um, uh, create the 
um, experience for the growth of the body will be irreversible. So I think we should uh, seize this very golden time of development mm. to build up a good habit of the kids to focus and to uh, shift their attention, not to you know being addicted to a particular activity. Can I, can I pin you down, try and pin you down one more time, say for teenagers or yes. for, say 12 onwards or something like that, you know what sort of a, what sort of time should they be playing? What would be the maximum time for them to be gaming? Teenagers is you know adolescence is actually another golden time of brain development. So uh, I think it's really hard to, uh, especially now a lot of schools they use computer for the kids to learn. So I think um, if we uh, do not count the learning time. So yeah. for gaming yeah. or TV viewing, so at most should be two hours per day and breaking down into every 30 minutes lot with a um, five minutes break for the eyes to uh, look afar. Gaming maximum two hours a day. Okay. That sounds quite a lot to me. <laughs> that sounds quite quite generous. Anna, what do you think? Uh, well, this is really difficult. And the data, global data suggests that there's a risk of over-parenting and under-parenting with this. And it all comes back to the quality of the relationship that you have with your particularly teenage kid. Because they, it can become a vicious circle where they're having a bad relationship with you, so they soothe themselves through gaming. Or, um, or if you're just leaving them to do what they want, of course, it'll be un unrestricted gaming but unfortunately if you're over strict there is a direct correlation with addiction because they tend to take refuge in the gaming so the message to parents from my reading is that they really have to become active boundary parents who are willing to spend time and I do find that there's a problem in Hong Kong that parents have not read the the parenting job description which means that you have got to have boundaries and then enforce them otherwise there's no they're, they're not effective well, many thanks for joining us, uh, Dr. Lam. Uh, Fanny Lambert, specialist in developmental uh, p behavioural paediatrics at the Hong Kong Developmental Paediatric Centre. Thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. And uh, from the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the Chinese University, Associate Professor Dr. Jason Yam. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, as well. One more comment from Jay uh, on Facebook who says, Yes, I think this is a national security issue. What is the government doing about it? I don't want my kid playing games on the computer where he's training to kill people and shooting them with guns and fighting. This is breeding terrorists. And more to the point, it's originating from America. As the doctor said, myopia or short-sightedness and diabetics due to lack of exercise is becoming a very big concern. That's from Jay. Thank you very much indeed for that. And thanks to uh, everyone who joined in um, this morning. A couple more comments uh, on uh, related to earlier programmes. Richard said, uh, your project editor came up with a real doozy yesterday, and I'm not sure if it was intentional or not. First news about the trials and tribulations of people getting domestic helpers into Hong Kong so that dogs can be walked and cars washed. Then to be followed by an interview about the trials and tribulations of owners getting the above-mentioned dogs out of Hong Kong when they leave, which is a first-world problem if ever there was one. That's uh, from uh, Richard. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Um, and uh, Alonzo says, uh, Israel recorded 19,947 new COVID cases yesterday, the highest single day since the start of the pandemic. While serious cases remain well below the record level seen in
in January. They nonetheless recently hit their highest level since February. Listeners will recall that Israel had one of the world's most aggressive and successful vaccine drives. However, the country's health officials this week said the effects of the vaccines weaken five months after the initial inoculation. Given these findings, what is the Hong Kong government's strategy and roadmap regarding booster shots? Has it placed additional orders for additional vaccines from BioNTech and Sinovac? Meanwhile, Hong Kong's daily first vaccination figure yesterday fell to just 20,223. This represents a significant 47% decline from the high of over 38k registered in early August. It's imperative that the government adopts a much more aggressive carrot and stick policy to arrest the worrying decline in vaccination take-up. The obvious carrot remains additional consumption coupons or cash, particularly for the most vulnerable elderly groups, where vax rates remain far too low at just 11.7% for those aged 80 and above. That is from uh, Alonso. Thank you very much indeed for that. We wanted to turn finally today, um, as mentioned, to Afghanistan as the final uh, US troops uh, have uh, exited. Uh, the president said uh, it was the uh, president, Joe Biden, said it was the best uh, available option to end both the United States longest war and what uh, it's been described as fruitless decades of fruitless efforts to make other countries through military force. Uh, he says uh, uh, this decision about Afghanistan is not just about Afghanistan. It's about ending an era of major military operations to remake other countries. That's from uh, Joe Biden for comment uh, and also on the uh, future of Chinese relations with the new regime in Afghanistan. We're joined by Mark O'Neill, author and uh, China analyst. Mark, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, 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 for joining us. Uh, so let's just talk a little bit about, about the U.S., uh, first of all, this is a this is a is this bigger than Vietnam? Is this comparable to to Vietnam just in terms of the uh, uh, of a loss of a loss of face? Well, it's uh, an enormous humiliation. Twenty years of investment, billions of dollars, thousands of American soldiers killed and wounded, even more thousands of Afghans uh, killed and wounded too, and the collapse of the. American-backed regime and the American-backed army in such a short time. Of course, it, it, it's, a, it's a, a, a terrible humiliation for America. But I think it's different to Vietnam because, um, you know, in Vietnam, it's, it's part of the, the communist struggle, the anti-communist struggle, whereas I think Afghanistan is very much a case of its own. And some people have said this indicates that the U.S., is pulling back from foreign engagements, won't support its allies. I think that's completely misleading. That's quite wrong. I think uh, America will continue to support its allies in East Asia, Europe, uh, South America, because Afghanistan is such a special case. Uh, well, you know, Biden was there saying kind of it's the end of an era of nation building. Uh, should we believe him when he says that as well? I don't think so, no. I, I mean, I don't think they'll build nations in this very aggressive and militaristic way. No, they won't do that in the future. But America is the world's uh, number one superpower. So it will continue to interfere in many uh, nations' affairs using uh, financial means, leverage, sanctions, investment. It has all kinds of tools to do it. And it's best to do it without actually using your own military. So that will go on. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the relations and discussions had begun with, with the Taliban, uh, even under the, the previous president, and even before that, a kind of uh, building a relationship. Where do you think that stands now between the Taliban and the U.S.? 
Well, you know, the U.S. still holds a lot of cards because um, Afghanistan has only got nine billion of foreign exchange reserves, and seven billion of this is in the Federal Reserve Bank in the U.S. and it's frozen. So, if the Taliban wants to rebuild its country, it cannot rely only on Chinese and Russian investment. It's got to access the global. Uh, investment aid programs, which are largely controlled by America and the Western countries. So even though America has left in this humiliating manner, if Taliban wants to make a, um, a real country and not a, not just a completely poverty-stricken country, it's got to reach some kind of relationship with the U.S. and the West. So I think both sides um, realize this, so they are talking to each other. But given what's happened, the drama of the last two months I think this will take time to happen. Why can't the Taliban just get the money from China? Well, I think Chinese view of Afghanistan is is quite uh, ambiguous. Um, they're very happy that America has left and has been humiliated, and and it's a great victory for Chinese propaganda. But Afghanistan is not a country in the Belt and Road Initiative, and this is very significant. I think. Uh, because China has looked at it and said, you know, its infrastructure is so poor, the road system, the rail system, the economy is so backward that, you know, investments from China would not yield an economic return. And Afghanistan has huge amounts of minerals. It has rare earth minerals. It has lithium. It has copper. Uh, I mean, a lot of reserves which China would like to have. But the problem is to extract them, to get them out, and then to move them from Afghanistan to China. And this, at the moment, this is impossible. So I think China is happy to assist the Taliban diplomatically. I think it will provide uh, limited aid and investment for, for say, roads uh, around Kabul or around the major cities or rebuilding the airport, that kind of thing. But uh, it won't be a large-scale investment do you not think, Mark, that access to the lithium mines is reason enough to um, to be in there? Yes, but, I mean, let's take uh, this, this enormous copper mine, Mez Ainak, which is only 40 miles from Kabul, and 2018, two Chinese companies got the license for this mine, and it's got 450 million metric tons of copper. And as you know, China is an enormous importer of copper. But as of now... China has not been able to extract any copper at all because of all the civil war and the, the unrest. And unfortunately, it's, on, it's a UNESCO heritage site, which makes things even more complicated. So, uh, yes, China would love access to these minerals, but at the moment it's impossible to get them out. Well, what about the question of uh, Xinjiang as well? Will China tend to support, I mean, you know, how does that uh, complicate matters? Well, for China, this is the absolute priority. Um, it will aid uh, Afghanistan diplomatically and economically on condition that Afghanistan does not allow um, radical groups from Xinjiang to have any bases in Afghanistan or train or use Afghanistan and then go into Xinjiang, because as you know, there is a border, a very short border between the two countries. For China, that's the absolute precondition. So Taliban has said publicly that they won't allow this. 
you know, and they'll support China's initiative. But of course, the question everyone's asking is how much control Taliban has on all these armed groups within the country. And of course, it's it's a movement driven by ideology more than by money or practicality. And if you take an extremist Islamic view, what China is doing in Xinjiang is, 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 is worse than what Britain or France or Germany or the Western countries have done to the Muslims in their countries. And these countries have been targeted because they are considered to be oppressing Muslims. Well, what's going on in Xinjiang is much more serious. So um, I would imagine that within Afghanistan there will be groups and there will be individuals who would say that, yes, they have to target Xinjiang. Hmm. All sounds like there's a long way to go before any clarity emerges. Yes, but for, I mean, but for the moment, I mean, China is in a very good place because, uh, you know, the, the West is constantly um, criticizing China for its human rights abuses. And China can now point to the amount of uh, civilians killed, injured during this 20-year war. You know, many of these drone attacks and these attacks by the Western forces killed uh, Taliban fighters, but they also killed their wives, their children. There was an enormous amount of collateral damage. So from a, from a propaganda point of view, yeah, China is very, very happy at the moment to show uh, the brutality of American rule and the failure of American rule. So I think this theme we're going to hear about for, for several months more especially when the West criticizes China. Uh, and if the Taliban, uh, if some of their behavior does seem repressive, especially towards women, uh, for example, will that change minds in, in Beijing? Well, I think it would um, internally. I mean, they, they would speak to Taliban uh, privately about it, but they won't uh, go public about it the way that Western countries and Western NGOs are going on. As I say, the key issue for China is, is Xinjiang. You know, there's very limited trade between China and Afghanistan. It's not an important provider of materials at the moment which China needs. So as long as Taliban keep the line on Xinjiang and controlling groups that might infiltrate, then I think China will keep quiet and will do its best to support the government and try to make Taliban a uh, Afghanistan a very sta uh, relatively stable country and uh, a country with, with less terrorism. Uh, it, it's funny that they're not part of the Belt and Road Initiative, isn't it? Because that just kind of they're, they're right, they're positioned right in the middle of it. Um, well, I didn't know this until last week, and I read an article by Ajmal Ahmadi, who was the head of the central bank in the former regime and he's just escaped and he wrote an article about Afghanistan and he said he went to Beijing in 2019 and there was a big Belt and Road meeting and he beseeched China to include Afghanistan in the, in the BRA but they rejected it. So I agree with you, it seems exactly the sort of country that would qualify. Mm. But my, my guess would be is that they looked at its economy, its logistics, its infrastructure, and said it's just too poor. And, uh, you know, the amount of money that would be needed to, to build the roads, the railways, the power stations, the port, not the ports, the airports, all the infrastructure needed in order to, 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 to 
develop it economically is just far too much. And if you invest the money in Kazakhstan or in Cambodia or in Bangladesh or Indonesia, you know, you get a much quicker return for the money. Mm. So I think that's why they decided to exclude them. Okay. Well, Mark, many thanks for joining us. Mark O'Neill, the author and uh, China analyst. Uh, thanks for joining us. Anna, thank you very much indeed. Uh, email from S, who says, uh, excellent insight and comments from Anna Fanton. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much indeed. Uh, here's the weather before we go. Sunny intervals and a few showers. Isolated thunderstorms around at first. There's a thunderstorm warning now in effect, effective uh, until at least 10.30 uh, today. Moderate easterly winds, occasionally fresh offshore. The outlook very hot with sunny periods and one or two showers in the next couple of days. 29 Celsius at the moment, and the relative humidity is at 88%. To defeat the COVID-19 epidemic and resume normal life, everyone should get vaccinated. No matter how young or fit we are, we may still be infected. Even if the infection is mild, the disease may also have long-term impacts on your health. Vaccination provides protection to ward off new strains of the virus. For the health of yourself and your family, and for the resumption of normal life, go for it. We will win by getting vaccinated together. 9.33, the news now with Vicky Wong. The president of the Public Doctors Association, Tony Ling, has said he is concerned about the government-appointed special registration committee that will screen candidates. U.S. President Joe Biden has described the U.S. evacuation mission from Afghanistan as an extraordinary success. Mr. Biden struck a defiant note in a televised address the day after the end of America's 20-year presence in Afghanistan. And the Irish government has announced plans for a phased withdrawal of most coronavirus restrictions by the 22nd of October, including lifting limits on the number of people who can attend mass gatherings. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer Interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy counter co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Welcome to Wednesday, right here on The Morning Brew. Well, today, quite a musical one for you. At 10.10, we'll meet the incredible Israeli pianist, David Greisummer, who is about to hit Hong Kong with a very, very different kind of recital and a bit of Mozart in between. His programme, which is going to perform twice next week, is called Scarlatti Cage. Now, using two pianos back-to-back, -back, he sits in the middle, 